Hi, this is Brad Keithley, Managing Director of Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets. Welcome to the weekly top three, the top three things on our mind here at Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets for the week of March 21st, 2022. The weekly top three is a regular segment on The Michael Duke Show. The show broadcasts on both Facebook Live and YouTube Live, as well as via streaming audio from the show's website, weekdays from 6 to 8 a.m. I join Michael weekly in the first hour of Tuesday's show from 6.25 to 7 a.m. for a discussion between the two of us about our three issues. We post the podcast of our discussion following the show on the Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets Facebook, YouTube, SoundCloud, Spotify, and Substack pages, also on the Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets website, as well as the projects page on national blog site, medium.com. You can find past episodes of the weekly top three also at the same locations. Keep in mind that in addition to these podcasts, during the week, you also can follow and participate in the discussion with us of these and other issues affecting Alaska's fiscal and economic condition by following us on the Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets Facebook page and through our posts on Twitter. This week, our top three issues are these. First, we discuss what we find important about the spring revenue forecast. Second, we examine the tension that's unfolding in the legislature between increased spending on the one hand and permanent fund dividends on the other. And third, we explain why we are concerned with the Permanent Fund Corporation's in-state Alaska investment initiative. And now, let's join Michael. Well, let's uh, let's dive into the weekly top three and talk about, first of all, you kind of teased this last week before everything came out, but the Department of Revenue has put out the new spring revenue forecast. And we knew, of course, everybody was uh, waiting with bated breath to see how much money was going to be there. Uh, and the new spring forecast is out. You're going to give us your hot take on it. Well, the spring forecast uh, was uh, uh, released last Tuesday was pretty consistent with what I think I had expected um, in, in terms of uh, in terms of its major parts. Uh, I look at it. I, the 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 big two things that people look at it for immediately are the price forecast um, and the production forecast. And the price forecast was in line with uh, what the futures market had been telling us for uh, a few weeks leading up to the publication of the spring forecast. Uh, uh, prices are higher uh, than certainly in the fall forecast uh, currently, but we're still in backwardation. And so the prices of future years uh, goes down uh, from, the, from the current high price. And that was what the, the spring forecast was consistent with that. On the production side, the production was almost exactly the same as in the fall forecast. They didn't make any big changes on the production side that they had last year in the spring forecast. And I was curious whether they were going to follow through with some with, with some more of that this time, but they didn't. Uh, there's some slight tweaking going on both in the current year, um, uh, in part because Alpine's been down due to the, the Conoco gas leak. Um, but there's also uh, some slight tweaking that goes on in the other years, but nothing, nothing substantial on the production side. So that's, it's pretty consistent with what you saw, with what we saw in the, in the fall forecast. There's one other area that I look at, uh, in the spring revenue forecast, uh, that was, that, that is, you know, it always sort of brings back to mind what we're talking about. And that is the production tax credits. Uh, the spring forecast includes not only price and, 
production, but it includes things associated with production, like the production tax credits. And given the higher prices, the higher oil prices that uh, that the spring forecast uh, uh, projects, uh, the production the production tax credits, the reimbursable production tax credits, the tax credits that we have yet to pay to the producers that were built up during the uh, during the 20 teens uh, production tax credit program, uh, reimbursable production tax credit program, those are getting paid out. So to some degree, the it's, it's projecting higher expenses, higher spending, because those production tax credits that are paid out over the next three years or so uh, come out of the, um, uh, come out of the, uh, uh, have to be spent, they come out of the, out of the revenues. Um, there's been, a, there was, there's been what I think is some unfair criticism uh, of the price projections. When the uh, revenue forecast was published last week, um, prices, the, the futures market went into a bit of a swoon for a period of time because uh, there was, a, there was a, a, an expectation in the futures market, or at least that was bouncing through the futures market, that Ukraine and Russia would settle their war uh, uh, certainly faster than they have over the course of the last week. Um, and so because of that, there was an expectation that maybe some of the hard, hard uh, decisions on Russian production wouldn't have to be made. Russian production might stay up. Uh, and as a result, uh, prices were sort of swooning uh, last week. That, right. that has worn off. Well, and, and when prices swoon, I mean, uh, some politicians some uh, on the partisan side, on the Democrat side said, well, you know, maybe the Dunleavy administration hasn't been fair and honest and open and transparent with, uh, with these price forecasts. And, and one uh, representative Ivy Sponholt said, well, we're going to have to ground truth these. Yeah. Uh, I love that. That means. Yeah. I love that. Uh, I mean, it's like, it's like they haven't done this forecast the same way for 40 years, you know, but I mean, he of course must be cherry picking if that's the case. And we've got to really truth this out here. Yeah, and but but what's happened now is is we we see that the Ukrainian war is continuing. Um, uh, a number of other things have happened in the past week. Uh, uh, Saudi Arabia said yesterday that they're not going to be the central bank of oil production. I mean, up until now, from the 1970s until until uh, until yesterday, basically, Saudi said we're always going to be there. We're always going to have the supplies. Don't worry about supplies. You know, we'll decide what the price is going to be, but but we'll always have supplies. And then yesterday, uh, in response to a terrorist attack on some of their facilities uh, from Yemen, uh, uh, Saudi suddenly said, we're not going to be the central bank of oil anymore. So I, so you've got a lot of factors that are going on that are affecting uh, the oil price. The Iranian talks, which would which hopefully result in additional Iranian supplies uh, coming back onto the market, those have sort of dragged on, so you're not quite sure of those. Uh, Halliburton, uh, Schlumberger, and uh, Baker Hughes, three major uh, oil field service companies, uh, which, are, which are vital to the operation of oil fields, they've all said that they're leaving uh, uh, Russian operations in various stages. Baker Hughes says they're done now, but Schlumberger and, uh, and, uh, and, and the other said that uh, they're going to you know, not take on any new projects, but that's going to affect oil production. I mean, that's what when they, when they, when those companies, when the oil field service companies abandoned Venezuela, that's when Venezuelan production started declining or plummeting. Um, so that's that announcement's been made in the meantime. The net effect is that oil prices are back up. I did oil prices this morning, and they're back up uh, within 
uh, a, a single digit percentage points of where they were uh, at the time that the that the administration's revenue forecast came out. So I think I think their I think the administration's price forecasts are holding up. Well, and and so I guess spell out what this means for us because what we saw is we saw a, per, a previously projected one point two billion dollars in revenue. Uh, now we're looking at all over four billion dollars in revenue, uh, and they all have a plan on how they want to spend it. They all have a you know what they're what they're going to do with it. So, what does the oil revenue forecast say to us for the coming, not just this next year, but let's say for the next five years? Well, it says it says that we're going to have high oil prices this year and high revenues this year. But again, uh, the oil prices, uh, the futures market is telling us that oil prices are in backwardation. That for various reasons, either demand destruction, uh, if, if, if high oil prices stay up, that there's going to be a, a restriction, there's going to be a demand response, demand's going to go down, uh, which is going to bring price down or additional supplies will come, come on, uh, uh, shale or other supplies will come on, which will, which will bring, increase supply and bring down price that way, that there's going to be backwardation over the next, over the next decade. Um, and so we are, we are in an environment where because we weren't really prepared uh, very well for uh, the, the full-blown recovery of demand coming out of COVID, because we hadn't invested in supplies and, and aren't very, weren't very well prepared for supplies, we're in an environment where we're going to have very high oil prices uh, uh, over the next year and maybe over the next couple of years. But the market is telling us, the futures market is telling us there's going to be a market response either on the supply side or the demand side or perhaps both uh, that is going to uh, going to bring prices back down. There's one thing uh, over the next five years, so this is going to bring revenues back down. There's one thing that is not included in the spring revenue forecast, but I think is 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 going to be relevant uh, to what the uh, certainly over the next five years, over the next ten years, relevant to how the, the legislature and the administration should be looking at the outlook, our fiscal outlet, outlook, and that's inflation. I mean, we've not had to talk about inflation for the past 20 years, 30 years. Um, it's, it's stayed fairly fairly constant uh, or at a fairly low levels over that period of time. But now inflation is breaking out in a, in a way that is certainly noticeable and certainly starting to have uh, an impact. And so when you look at these higher oil prices and you look at, even though they're going to be a backwardation, you look at a continued oil price regime that is substantially higher than what we thought in the, uh, in the fall revenue forecast. You need to, you need to lay a, next to that the inflation numbers that are coming out of that higher oil price regime because inflation's, or oil prices are helping to drive inflation. Um, and take that into account as you're looking at the, at the financial outlook. We've started publishing, the, those who, who follow the Facebook page or follow the, the Twitter page will see that we've started po uh, publishing inflation numbers uh, as part of our regular columns or our regular uh, chart series uh, on Sundays. Um, and inflation is, 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 the projections for inflation are substantially higher. That will have an impact on the budget. So as you look forward, uh, and look at these higher oil prices uh, over the next five years. You need to also be setting side by side with that the inflation numbers and think about what that's going to be doing to spending levels uh, over that same period of time. And, and, and we're, sort of, we're sort of in a good spot right now in terms of high revenues because of the oil prices. Inflation really hasn't started affecting uh, 
uh, costs yet. But you can see, if you, if you look out over the next five years, you can see a situation where you're going to have uh, inf uh, uh, oil prices sort of coming down from the current highs that are on, inflation sort of going up, uh, and, um, and the same sort of fiscal stress that we've had over the last decade, the same sort of fiscal stress uh, uh, re-emerging uh, uh, within, that, within that time period. But, but, but it's a transitory inflation, right? I mean, it's... <laughs> Sorry. Uh, thank you, Brian, for that in the chat room. Of course, there's more squawking about the uh, the oil taxes and the oil taxation and giveaway. And you and I have talked about that several times here on the program, and and we've 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 breezed over that. There's plenty of different ways where we could help generate new revenue in the state. And yes, changing the oil taxation is one of them. In fact, you were an opponent of the last go around of the oil tax scheme. Uh, a very vocal opponent of it. Uh, you and I both Pro were proponent, proponent of the uh, of the of the ballot prop, uh, whatever, what, whichever prop that was at the time. I think it was prop one at that time. Um, but yeah, I mean that we needed to get more. That there's still more money on the table. I mean, there, that's the thing. There's money on the table in a variety of different ways. Oil taxes is just one of them, but that definitely is still there. There's still definitely some money on the table on that. Yeah, but I. But here's the thing, Michael. We won't even the, even the administration and even the Democrats won't go won't go after the one absolute low hanging fruit on the tree in terms of oil taxes. When Hillcorp bought BP, Hillcorp came in with a different corporate tax structure um, and 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 substituted that because it was you know buying BP's facilities. It substituted its corporate form for the BP corporate form. That results in what's now projected to be a $90 million difference uh, uh, between just over just over the corporate form. Right. No change in the field, no change of investment, no change in anything else. Just a difference in the corporate form is resulting in $90 million less uh, in, in oil taxes. That is, a, is an easy change. You're just saying, Hillcorp, you need to pay the same taxes uh, that BP paid, same corporate taxes, that BP paid if uh, if BP was still uh, still in the field. The legislature won't even address that. I don't think there's even a bill that's been heard, uh, certainly in this year's session, uh, about, about changing that. The, the administration doesn't mention it. So even before we get to changing oil taxes, I mean, there's $100 million, 90, 90 to $100 million sitting on the table right there in just fixing the Hillcourt glitch, and they won't even do that. So it's, I mean, if they won't even if they won't even touch that, I'm not sure how we ever uh, uh, talk about getting uh, getting uh, oil taxes uh, oil taxes fixed. Um, all right, well, let's uh, transition over to number two. Um, uh, I guess we can just do the tease, and we'll go to break a little early here. But number two is, hey, we got all this money. What are we going to do with it? The Alaska Legislature knows exactly what they want to do with it. And it ain't good for regular, I think, average Alaskans in the long run. Give me the tease. No, they want to go wild with it. I mean, the so the House uh, the House Finance Committee currently has the operating budget um, uh, before it. Uh, it sort of uh, uh, put the operating budget aside until they got the spring revenue forecast last week. Uh, they sort of were digesting the spring revenue forecast. Uh, amendments to the budget were due uh, last Friday. They did put out a. a uh, committee substitute two, a second committee substitute uh, that sort of gobbled up all of the six the six billion in revenue. What they did was they put another uh, one point two billion 
uh, into uh, in, into uh, education by forward funding uh, next year's education. It's a it's a way to do a savings, a, a sort of a designated right. savings account with with uh, with uh, uh, with education funds. Um, but that uh, that's just the beginning, the sort of the. Uh, the, 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 the first ripple in, in what I think we're going to see over the course of this week in terms of amendments, proposed amendments to the House budget and or in the Finance Committee and then get it on the floor and amendments there. Uh, we, got a lot, we got a lot to talk about on the spending side. I read this story, Brad, um, for, you know, talking about the spending and the whole first, you know, third of the story is how this teacher just doesn't know what they're going to do They've closed down schools and they're doing it and everyone hates us. And of course, they don't talk about the fact that, you know, school enrollment has dropped precipitously. And, uh, you know, we've uh, we've underfunded the, the the maintenance of these buildings for years and all this kind of stuff. And it's all about how we just we literally the, imp- the imputation here is that, of course, we hate the children and uh, we hate that we hate the schools. And why why would we not want to make the children our future? Uh, and everything else. That's the tone that's been set by this article from the very beginning. Well, and we're going to see, we're going to see that over the course of this week as the House uh, Finance Amendments uh, are put forward, and we'll see it over the course of uh, over the course of next week when it goes on the floor, either late later this week or next week when it goes on the floor. We're going to see. I mean, the university. We're going to see people come out and say, "Oh, the university needs more money. We strangled them for you know several years, and now we need to go back in. We need to fund the university." And we're going to see. You know, we're going to see the uh, uh, the the K through 12, and we're going to be on the capital side. We're going to see discussions of uh, of uh, oh, we need capital spending. We haven't had capital spending for all these, notwithstanding the fact we got all these federal funds coming in, right? Uh, but we we haven't had capital spending for all these years. We need capital spending, and you know, we need to put and 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 here's here's the thing. I'll I'll talk about this more when we get back on the air, but. Here's the thing that is being set up. It's all against the PFD. It's the PFD on one side uh, against against all of these spending categories uh, on on the other side. Um, and you know everybody's saying, "Oh, we don't need that much of the PFD. Take take a portion of it over there." And it's uh, I, I think that's entirely the wrong way of thinking about this. Uh, but again, I'll talk about that when we get back on the air. We're into two of the weekly top three. Uh, the second one is, of course, we got all this revenue now, and uh, but the legislature they've already planned a million ways to spend it, including oh they're going to cut us out this thirteen hundred dollar energy relief check on top of our what's proposed to be I guess a thirteen hundred dollar dividend. Uh, Ivy Sponholtz is quoted in the paper as saying, "Oh no no, she wants to stress that this this other thirteen hundred is not a dividend in any way, shape, or form. I mean, it's like dividend is almost a dirty word uh, for them, Brad. I mean, this is this is you could see exactly where this is going. All for me and none for thee. Yeah, it's uh, it, it's really disappointing. I mean, it's it's disappointing to hear it from Ivy. It's disappointing to hear it from." Uh, from the Democrats who, you know, will repeatedly tell us they're there to protect middle and lower income Alaska families, working Alaska families. And yet what they're doing, they're, they're, they're in the vanguard in the, in the, in the front of the parade, uh, trying to use the revenue measure that has the largest adverse impact uh, on middle and lower income Alaska families to, uh, to fund government. Uh, It's a, it's a, it's a sad, sad, sad situation, I think, in terms of, 
you know, what, uh, what, what Alaska has fallen to in terms of, in terms of how they're, how they're looking at these things. But, but what we've got, what we're going to have, uh, what we've already got is we're going to have a bunch of special interests, K through 12, the university, the construction industry. Uh, there will be others uh, coming out of the woodwork and saying, oh, we got all this money. Uh, and, and, you know, we've been shorted over the, over the last few years. We haven't had, you know, inflation adjustments to K through 12. We haven't had, uh, you know, the university has been shorted with all these cuts that the, that the governor did. Uh, construction has been shorted because, you know, we haven't had uh, capital budgets. Um, and we all need to be made whole. Uh, all these special interests will be coming up and saying we need to be made whole uh, through, um, through uh, uh, you know various increases or various uh, 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 grants uh, to our particular industry to uh, to uh, to make us whole, and they will all have uh, uh, lobbyists in Juno. They will all uh, being paying for uh, uh, plane tickets down to Juno for their for members of their various interest group to go up in front of the House committee, House Finance Committee, the, the House members, the Senate Finance Committee when it gets over there all to plead their case about their particular, uh, their particular uh, 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 need uh, and, and, and have their sob story about why their need is greater than, than anything else. On the other side, the only thing that's sitting on the other side, and, and this is, you know, I, I, I take, I, I, I get upset when I see, you know, a, 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 a headline like uh, the one on the Nat Hertz article that says, Alaska's new oil windfall Hits bigger PFDs against savings, schools, and maintenance backlog. The only thing that sits on the other side from all these special interests is the PFD, and and basically it's give me give me my special interest money and just take it out of the PFD. Give me my special interest money and take it out of the PFD. Right. And and when you get when you get statements like Ivy that says, oh, we're going to do we're going to do a, a a a energy relief check. Don't think that's part of the PFD. An energy relief check. Uh, uh, this year, um, basically what they're doing is setting up for a situation where they're going to increase all this spending. They're going to do like a, a, a effectively a permanent increase in K through 12 spending or a permanent increase in the university spending or a permanent increase would effectively be a permanent increase um, in the capital budget. But remember that I talked about in the first segment, I talked about oil prices being in backwardation that, 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 future oil prices are going down. We've got inflation coming up. So there's going to be a tighter fiscal situation coming up in, in, in the near term. And, and what you see from Ivy is setting that up, saying we're going to give you an energy relief check as sort of a cover while we cut the PFD, propose to cut the PFD down to a 2575 POMB uh, uh, PFD. And 2575 uh, uh, is, about, is about cutting the PFD in a third of in three, I mean, it's about it's about cutting the uh, PFD by two thirds down to down to about a third what, of what it would be under the statute. So you've got so they're trying to set up this situation where you've got all these special interest players coming in, you know, uh, wanting money, taking it at the expense of the PFD. Ivy try Ivy and others trying to set it up where they're going to cut the PFD permanently to set up the ability to fund these special interests. Uh, on an ongoing basis, even as uh, oil prices decline. And I think, I think it's horrible. I mean, you, what they're doing, just, just focus on the fundamentals. What they're doing is they're going to tax middle and lower income Alaska families through PFD cuts, 
tax lower and middle income Alaska families permanently in order to pay off these special interests. If we think as a state that we ought to be paying off these special interests, everybody, all Alaska families, including the top 20%, ought to be part of, uh, are, ought to be part of contributing to it. But the way they're doing it, the way the legislature is doing it by taking it out of the PFD, they're bypassing the top 20%. They're essentially saying, look, we're going to take it out of the PFD, which is going to hurt middle and lower income Alaska families, trivial impact on the top 20%. We're going to increase spending and we're going to do it through PFD cuts. So the top 20% is sitting there going, yeah, we don't care. I mean, right. they're going to take it, they're going to take it out of the PFD. So, so what do we care? And, you know, some of us have jobs have state government jobs, have university jobs, have K through 12 jobs. Uh, and that's going to be great for us. They're going to increase spending on our things or, you know, capital construction jobs. They're going to increase spending on our things, but we're not going to have to pay for it. It's a, it, it's a, it is the worst possible fiscal policy that I think you possibly could have well, uh, in a situation like this. And one thing you just kind of brushed on on the edge is again, these are short term. These projections are saying for the next two years, it'll be well, but we don't know. It could drop back off again uh, in the future. Uh, and they're talking about increasing things now that would become permanent. Yeah. So they're talking about spending that we have a flush surplus in the short term. And so they're talking about creating a new funding mechanism in the short term with this short term money that then becomes long term and increases the overall cost of the state going forward, regardless of how much money we have. Yeah. And that's, I mean, and that's why, I mean, to some degree, to some degree, you got to give the, the, them credit because they're thinking long-term and they're saying, well, we got to get the PFD debt. We got to get revenue sources to fund all this additional stuff that we're, that we're, that we're committing to. And so to some degree, you got to give them credit because they're thinking long-term and they say, we've got to get the PFD down to 2575 so that in, in future years, you know, we'll have enough revenue, but we will have cut the PFD enough that we'll have the revenue to pay for it. So they're they're thinking long term about how to pay for it when they talk about cutting the PFD to twenty five uh, uh, seventy five. Uh, but but they're thinking about you know they're thinking about doing it on the backs of middle and lower income Alaska families through PFD cuts as opposed to revenue structures where all Alaska families right. uh, can contribute to that sort of spending. Well, and I love the fact that they say, well, education funding hasn't increased in seven years. No, we haven't touched the BSA in seven years. That doesn't mean that education funding hasn't gone up, just that the base student allocation hasn't been changed. Not that that would matter because, again, that could get consumed all in the overhead and everything else. But then they go on to talk about how, well, you know, we've got other priorities, including education and a $2 billion maintenance backlog that's been neglected during tight budget years. No, it hasn't been neglected. It's been ignored. They prioritized where the money was to be spent. They took money that was supposed to be used for maintaining state assets, and they pointed it at another program that they thought had a higher priority or was more important to them, leaving this backlog. This is nothing. This is not, you know, this is not a neglect of, oh, we could have, should have. They had the opportunity, and they chose not to, and now it becomes a crisis. Well, sure. Becomes a crisis because, you know, they've got to have a rationalization for why they're cutting the PFD. And so it's a and so it's a crisis because, you know, we've got to we've got to do this. And now we got and we got to cut the PFD to do it. It's a uh, it's a this state 
is is driven so much by special interests. And you know the fact that the capital is in Juneau, the fact the capital is isolated, that contributes to it. But this state is driven so much by special interests. And we're seeing that come out of the woodwork again uh, now that uh, now that we've got short-term revenues um, and we see uh, we see you know people trying to you know set up for for long-term spending increases yeah, on the it, backs of short-term revenues and so the legislature saying well we got to take it out of someplace and we're going to take it out of middle and lower well, and Alaska and Congress you could definitely that. see you could see the the effect of special interest when some of the republicans said okay well we could talk about opening up the bsa but we've got to put some metrics in there we've got to put some performance standards in there to show that you're doing a good job and the hand fluttering that went on immediately. Well, you can't do that. We can't do that. I mean, hey, you want the extra money? We want to show that we're not going to be in the bottom of the 50-state comparative every time. And we want something more for the money. And they're, they're just, oh, we can't do that. You can't that you can't put a price on that. Kind. Yes, we can. But that's exactly what's happening. The special interests are saying, no, no, no. But right. Michael, but Michael, think about that for the moment. What what's happening then is that uh, uh, the Republicans are buying into the increased spending. Yes, they want to put conditions on it, but the Republicans are buying into the increased spending. No, uh, right uh, on that the that the Democrats are arguing for. So right. it's, it's it's I mean it's stair stepping on itself. The Democrats say right. we want to increase spending. The Republicans say well you got to put conditions on it, and the Democrats say well you shouldn't have those conditions. But ah. Uh, if it gets us the increased spending, it's just I. It, right. it permeates. Right. It permeates the entire situation down there. I'm just saying that even when they seem to cross the line to come to compromise, even then the special interest get does the hand waving freak outery. You know what I mean? Uh, even then, you could see the 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 effect of special interests. Like, well, we want the money, but we want no strings attached. We want we yeah, yeah. you know we we can't do any of you can't demand that we do that. That's that's inhuman. That's cruel. Yep, exactly. And but but the the problem with that is you sort of get sucked in, right? I mean, my my problem with that is you sort of get sucked in. You go, well, you know, I might consider that, but I'd have all these conditions. I'll put all these conditions on it. And you know, and, and I've been in the back rooms of 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 these discussions when uh, when somebody says that. I mean, you go, all right, we got them. <laughs> we we right. got the money. Now we're just negotiating over the terms right. of, of what it's going to take uh, to get that money. Um, and, and I, you know, I, I understand why the minority is doing that. I understand why the Republicans do that, but think of what you're doing. I mean, once you enter into that converse, conversation and say, yes, but we need all these conditions on it. The yes has just, you know, started you down the road of the, right. of the increased spending. Exactly. All right, we got it. We got a minute here, Brad. Uh, so let's finish up on this, and then we'll take number three during the break. Okay. Well, it's just I. Uh, we're going to see this over the course of the next week with House finance amendments. We're going to see this over the course of the week with, uh, with or over the course of the next week with House budget, and then it's on to the Senate. We'll be talking about this a lot on the show. It's just, but it's going up, folks, um, and that isn't the direction it should be going. I love how they keep saying, "Oh, we could we couldn't save as much as we wanted to during the last 50. These are the same people in there that were spending willy-nilly. They're the ones that drain the savings account talking about savings. I just find that so ironic. It's amazing. All right, well, let's move on to number three quickly here, and that is the Permanent Fund Corporation's new Alaska investment portfolio. It's got a lot of questions. 
Uh, the thing is, you know, is it politicizing the PFC or is it, uh, you know, what's what's going on with that? What do you what do you say? So James Brooks has a great article uh, diving down into the secrecy that's been surrounding uh, the investments being made by the permanent fund uh, in Alaska. Uh, there's been a lot of people who have have been saying that uh, uh, that, you know, the permanent fund has to be open about the investments. They have to tell us who they're investing in so we can track who they're investing in and all this sort of stuff. To, to me, that's that's true, but it's it's the wrong point to, to, to be objecting to what the permanent fund's doing. Permanent fund in Alaska, even if it's open and transparent, any investment by the permanent fund in Alaska, I think is 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 sending us down the wrong road. It is injecting permanent fund dollars into the Alaska economy. It is it is necessarily picking winners and losers. It's not necessarily, even if it's open and transparent, it's necessarily opening up the process uh, to political influence. I think in the in the decades before we got to this point, we had a very clear division. We had ADA, the Alaska Industrial and Development and Export Authority, Alaska Industrial Development and Export Authority. ADA invested in the state to try to bolster things in the state economy, to try to build up pieces of the state economy. The Permanent Fund Corporation was in an entirely different mission where it was just investing globally to, to get the most dollars, to maximize the most dollars uh, in, in terms of revenue, to build up the fund, to build up to build up earnings. And it stayed out of Alaska because ADA was in Alaska bolstering the Alaska economy and the Permanent Fund Corporation didn't want to get caught in the mess of going into you know, politically uh, uh, treacherous waters. I think the problem, the problem with the Permanent Fund investing in Alaska is not whether it's secret or not, I think there's just a fundamental problem with the Permanent Fund Corporation messing in the Alaska economy in the first place. I think it ought to stay with its traditional approach of just maximizing uh, earnings uh, someplace else and leave ADA, uh, leave, leave Alaska investments and bolstering the Alaska economy to ADA. ADA may or may not do a good job. We can have a debate on that, but at least they're the, at least they're the ones statutorily uh, uh, right. Uh, uh, set up to to do it, um, and I think that's. I think we ought to restrict uh, the Alaska government messing in the Alaska economy to just ADA, uh, and focus on uh, focus on our governance governance of what uh, ADA does. Well, exactly. I mean, there's already again, they're the uh, political and and statutory mechanism to put that money in the state. Every time we you know get the permanent fund, uh, you know, to invest in Alaska specifically and force it to. That's where the politicization of the whole situation comes about. You know, that's when they pick winners and losers. That's when it becomes feasible. I mean, Bridget, uh, uh, James Brooks makes a comment about, well, if you've got some business that's invested in Alaska that has a bunch of people, but it's not but hired and working for them, but it's not economically feasible, and the Permanent Fund Corporation wants to remove their funding, now you've got people out of work. Does that become an issue? I mean, it really, again, politicizes the whole situation. Yeah. It's, there's a there's a piece in uh, uh, I think it's uh, uh, I think it's uh, uh, diapering the devil. It may be in another one of Hammond's books where he talks about the push that was on for the state to invest in a bunch of industry uh, built around Cook Inlet gas at one point, and and Hammond resisted that or investing state funds in, in in building those industries. Hammond resisted that, saying, "Look, you know, we're if we invest those funds outside, we're going to get you know." whatever return the permanent fund corporation is going to get. 
Uh, if we invest those funds in Alaska, yeah, we may build up some jobs for Alaskans, but we're going to have subpar uh, returns in Alaska. And that's, you know, when you say we're going to set aside a certain amount of funds to invest, invest in Alaska, yeah, we're going to look for the same sort of returns. That may or may not happen. You know it's going to happen if you invest outside. Right. But it may or may not happen when you invest inside. And again, we've got ADA. We've got somebody who's supposed to be investing to build up the Alaska economy. We ought to just stick with that and keep the permanent fund focused on maximizing returns without regard to building up any particular sector, uh, either elsewhere in the world or, or in Alaska. Well, I think you get the last word on that for sure, but I, I think I agree with you. I think there's already... Uh, we don't need any more of that uh, political largesse going out of there. We've already got ADIA that can do all that stuff, and we don't need to see that. Brad Keithley, Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets, thank you so much for coming on board, my friend. As always, it's good to hear from you. Michael, as always, thanks for having me. Well, that's a wrap for another week's edition of the Weekly Top 3 from Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets. Thank you again for joining us. Remember that you can find past episodes on our YouTube, SoundCloud, Spotify, and Substack pages. And keep track of us during the week on Facebook and Twitter. This has been Brad Keithley, Managing Director of Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets. We look forward to you joining us again next week on the Weekly Top 3.